Well, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 239, as we conclude our series on how to hunt mule deer. So this is a bonus episode, the last episode of the series, uh, at least for now, and it's with our buddy Josh Kirchner. As you'll hear, Josh uh, grew up hunting mule deer a bit in Arizona, but has more recently got into high country mule deer, chasing them with his bow in multiple states, including Utah and Colorado. We talk about Josh's kind of like lessons learned, struggles, success. Like this is a very relatable podcast. Uh, If you want to get into mule deer or are still learning how to hunt mule deer, as we talk with Josh about some of the things he's learned, again, both from things he's done right and wrong. And this is just an enjoyable one for sure. We mentioned it later in the show, but you can check it out up front as well. Josh wrote a book, um, How to Become a Backpack Hunter, which you can check out at Amazon. There's a link in the show description and go there and check that out. It is a worthwhile read. I have dug into it myself. And if you are especially newer to this game, um, not necessarily new to hunting, but new to backpack style hunting, this book really covers everything you need to know from gear to mindset to physical training and all that. It would be a fantastic resource to pick up. So again, there's a link in the show description to check that out. As always, guys, I do thank you for tuning in. Thank you for taking the time. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button. If there's anything you have for us, you can send us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. But for now, let's dive into this conversation with Josh Kirchner, the Dialed In Hunter. Josh, welcome, uh, welcome back to the Hunt Back Country podcast. I don't, I don't even know at this point. This is like your third, fourth time joining us, something like that. I don't know. Do you? I, I feel like I deserve a jacket at this point, <laughs> like in, like something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Always love talking to you guys, man. Yeah, dude. Likewise. Well, you, uh, we'll skip intros even and just get right into it, guys. If you're not familiar who Josh is. Where you been, man? Like, get on the get on some previous podcast episodes, hop on Instagram, something like that. But Josh, you're uh, the dialed in hunter. Do a lot of hunting, a lot of writing, podcasting. You're, uh, I love it, man. You're all over the place, but at the same time, you're just like uh, one of us, just a regular dude getting out there and getting after it, which is super cool. And uh, excited to talk mule deer with you today. I wanted to talk with you like as soon as we thought of the series you know having known some of the stories from your hunts and even recent hunts and lessons learned and things like that i just thought it would be like super relatable to guys who are getting into mule deer hunting uh but to kick things off man i guess go ahead and tie a little bit of your hunting history into then hunting mule deer right because you've hunted other species before and then talk about maybe that transition and then when you really got into starting chasing mule deer here recently yeah, so uh, a, a lot of my past, I've chased mule deer for quite a bit, actually. So, so here in Arizona, we have a a pretty liberal archery deer season. It's over the counter, uh, so we have the liberty of 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 hunting both mule deer and coos deer with our bows during the rut. So, as far as like mule deer goes, I've really been hunting mule deer since I started bow hunting, but. Um, it's always been during the rut. Um, it wasn't until last year 
where I uh, decided to like jump into the high country thing. And that was just a completely different game and came with a whole lot of different, uh, like different approaches strategically and stuff like that. So um, that's kind of my history of the whole mule deer thing. It's always been during the rut with a bow and in the desert. Yeah, no, that's cool. What is, uh, for guys who may be unfamiliar with what that's like what is it like hunting mule deer in the rut in the desert what time of year is that what type of country are they in um how does yeah. that lay out either for bow or rifle hunting like tell us a little bit about it yeah so uh here in arizona the the archery deer season is is last half of december and all of january um uh most of these bucks i mean you can find bucks at on the desert flats all the way, uh, you know, into the little bit higher elevations, um, where I particularly like to hunt is in like these transition zones, like between desert and, uh, and like pinion juniper or, or pine. So I'm hunting high desert mule deer, um, which usually lands around between like 3,500 feet, 4,500 feet, like right in there, that kind of area, lots of glassing. We spend a lot of time glassing for does. Um, and basically when we find a group of does, we just kind of keep tabs on them and don't, don't let them out of our sights because we know when that, that time of year, like even if you don't see a buck, like he's around somewhere and he's going to like show Mm -hmm. his face eventually. Um, so once that happens, uh, we find that we find a buck. I'm fairly aggressive with, with this type of bow hunting, which, which I kind of get my teeth kicked in a little bit when I jump into the high country thing with that, uh, it didn't translate well. Um, because basically, and the reason why I do that, like some guys will argue, argue with me about that. But, um, the reason why I, I like an aggressive approach during the rut is because they are, they're being aggressive bucks are always moving i've never watched a buck bed for more than an hour so like trying to like bed them down like you would in the early season it's just not that um i'm not saying it can't be done but in my experience it's not that productive so right when we see a, a deer rutting i take note of the wind which direction the does are going and i just bail and I just get over there and try to put put myself in the mix of them and hopefully get yourself within a range that, um, you know, allows the buck to possibly rut even past you, you know, and, and um, cause he's just, he's going to follow the does wherever they go. So, mm-hmm. yeah, do you feel like, um, obviously I'm not saying throw all caution to the wind, but because of they, cause they are focused so much on does because they're their guards down a little bit like from a sensory perspective you can feel you feel like you can get away with a little bit more aggression in terms of speed and movement and things like that and in terms of closing the distance yeah there's always there's always you always need to watch the does like it's it's always the does that get you the buck seems to be completely oblivious most of the time um but, uh, like if you're chasing, like, I mean, sometimes, you know, we're chasing like one mule deer and he's got like 15 does with him. That's a lot of eyes. Yeah. So you, it's definitely, it's definitely something you need to pay attention to. But if you've got like one buck running a doe or two, um, that's a pretty awesome situation because the doe is also preoccupied, right? Like she's mm-hmm. just trying to like get away from she's the buck. And the buck is trying- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. So, um, that's always a great situation right there. Yeah, that's cool. So you you mentioned there like maybe trying to position yourself where the buck's going to come past you. By that, do you then mean part of your approach is maybe getting between the buck and the does potentially? 
Um, basically, what I, what we like to do is like see the doe. Like during the rut, the bucks they don't have a pattern. Okay, but the does the does are patternable during the rut. So if you can uh, anticipate where the does are gonna go, and obviously this comes from like preseason scouting a little bit, right? Like I'll, I like we like to go out in November before the rut starts and kind of get tabs on different groups of does and like which directions they're moving, where they're tending to like to bed and stuff like that. So you already kind of have an idea about that stuff when you get into the field. But if you look at a group of deer um, as a whole, the does are definitely moving in a certain direction. There's a little bit of chaos that's happening within that group because of the buck. Okay. But if you pay attention, they are in moving in a general direction. So my thing is I want to get ahead of that general direction. If I know where they're going to, if I know where they're going to bet already, that's even better. Right. But they are moving in a certain direction. So if you get ahead of that, um, that buck is going to follow those does uh, 100%. Um, whether he gives you a shot opportunity or not is completely up in the air, but that's that's bow hunting, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's kind of setting it up for like an ambush style hunt, right? Like you're anticipating that movement, getting in position, letting them theoretically hopefully come right. across you in bow range at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's cool, man. What... Um, I know you're a resident, so I don't expect you to be the the non-resident expert here, but just to throw it out there, if guys are hearing that and that sounds like super exciting, uh, that is an opportunity for non-residents. If if you've heard this series listening in and you're thinking of wanting to hunt mule deer, it's part of the deal where a lot of guys are thinking September, October, Rocky Mountain West, but you can get out there, as you mentioned, um, in Arizona at that later time of year, and there's non-resident opportunity there. Um, Any info you can share on that? Again, you don't have to get into every detail, but just to help guys out a little bit and where to get started looking at that? Uh, yeah. So uh, if they want a, a fantastic resource to check out is just go to the Arizona Game of Fish website. Um, and there's this little section on there actually called where to hunt. So it's not going to give you, it's like, it's not going to tell you where all the big bucks are betting. Okay. Disappointing. I, I know it's, it's, it's a sham. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, what it will do is it breaks down units and it'll give you general areas to check out for whatever species you're trying to look for. Like maybe it'll give you like a road or whatever to like go drive down. It's not going to tell you the exact glassing spot, like I said, but like it'll give you country to check out. Um, Arizona's broken down into units. Um, if you go into the regulations, you'll see that in December, the last half of December, quite a few units open up for over-the-counter archery deer, but most of the units open in January. Okay. Um, you're allowed one buck per year. Okay. This means like if you play your cards, right, if you go the last, if you're planning like a two week trip, that would be awesome. Uh, you're planning like a two week trip. If you go like the last week of December and then you're going to be here the first week of January as well, you can essentially shoot a buck the last week of December and then get a new tag for the following year and shoot another buck the first week of January. Now, if you do that, you're not going to be able to come back until the following January. But if you're planning on doing this hunt like every couple of years, that's a great opportunity, man. (laughs) Heck yeah. Welcome in the new year under the stars in Arizona and and go fill another tag. Yeah, not to mention it's not like three degrees like it is in most of the country at that time. (laughs) 
like like we're 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 uh we're sitting in a crisp 60 degrees probably um for daytime temperature 60 70 degrees you know so yeah it's great weather that's awesome it's uh it's that time of year for us like is busy for work you know it's show season right so whether it's ata show or shot show or something like that we're travel for us for that time of year and it's every year i'm like gosh dang it i'd much rather be going down and hunting in arizona and i've been semi hoping i don't like want people to be sick but semi hoping that covid (laughs) cancels (laughs) some of the show season so then it frees up that time and i might have to like give you a ring and come down and hunt mule deer this year if that happens heck yeah dude you're always welcome how does that work with um did you say that's an any deer tag? So you could be you could be getting that yeah. same tag and hunting mule deer or coos deer then on that same tag? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the tag is not species specific. So, I mean, the, the great thing about that is a lot of these areas, uh, the habitats overlap for mule deer and coos deer. So you could be hunting both at the same time. And then on top of that, uh, before back. So if you apply in October, I think it is for the spring draw, you can apply for archery spring javelina, which takes place the whole month of January. Okay. So if you play your cards right again, you could be hunting archery javelina, archery coos deer and archery mule deer all in the same, on the same hunt. Dude, that's the way to do it. Yeah. The bow hunter's paradise, man. Yeah. So you said that you think that draw deadline's in October, or that's the window for that draw? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's in October. So okay. you put in for that ahead of time. And so, so yeah, and then that that's pretty cool because then you can, like, you know, you do have to put in for, like, a specific unit for Havelina. But if you're doing your research ahead of time and you're like, okay, I'm going to end up in, I'm going to hunt this unit right here for deer. If you put in for that for Havelina and you draw it, heck, dude, you, you could be hunting all those species at the same time. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. How uh, um, I'm sure it varies by unit, and uh, again, like I'm not asking you to be the expert for non-residents here, but what type of odds is it for Avelina? It's like a decent shot, or it's you know pretty low numbers there in terms of the draw. Um, So yeah, so there's definitely areas in the state where there is just like a an absolute pile of Avelina tags, and it's fairly easy to draw Avelina tag. Yeah. yeah. So it, it really, I think it just, yeah, 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 absolutely. But it, it's not like, it's not like drawing the strip or anything like that. You're not going to wait 15 years to draw a javelina tag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then get it's a trophy javelina. Yeah. It's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's cool, man. What's, um, you know, partly what we wanted to tie into that was your recent experience getting into high country stuff and not cause, uh, I just want to pull the lessons learned there, right? So guys have heard this series and, you know, we've talked about a lot of the high country stuff and I just want to relate it to, you know, even what we kicked off from the beginning of so many guys listening to this have hunting experience, even coming from other species, right? And so we wanted to highlight some of the differences of like, yeah, you've hunted Midwest whitetail or yeah, you've hunted elk in the Rockies or even hunted rosies on the coast or something like that. But then getting into mule deer and if that is high country be it early season archery or not getting into a general rifle season what have you um you know it's just a different game than one to highlight the nuances so like tie that into i think it was in the same year josh you hunted both utah and colorado was that the same year you did both those hunts yeah yep yeah back to back yeah so going in like let's just kick off with utah like going into that it's your first high country mule deer hunt what 
what did you learn? What did you do right? What did you, um, you know, do wrong? As you said, maybe coming from your other experiences there, but I just want to kind of like pull some of that out of you. Cause that's a recent experience for you. Yeah. Um, Utah, Utah was awesome, man. I, I'm telling you what, like anybody, you can look at all the pictures that you want of the high country above Timberline. It is not going to impact you as it would in person. It, it like you see that and you're just my jaw was on the floor. It, and, and I actually on the hike in um, we had about a six mile hike into our into our base camp where we were going to hunt out of. And, um, you know, the first whole first part of the hike is through the timber, you know, but then like you you get to a point where you get above the timber. And when we, when I first got that view, I, I looked at that and I like seriously questioned if I was even going to be able to do this hmm. because just because like of an like, intimidation factor. Oh yeah. Just because, uh, of how steep and rugged the country looked, I'm like, I don't even know if I can stand on that. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it, so, uh, that it was just a different world, man. Just a Had completely you not different it in Google world. earth. Or are you saying that Google earth lies? <laughs> Look, look, Google Earth <laughs> is very misleading. <laughs> it is INSOB. Yeah, no, it's definitely everything is way bigger when you get in person. Like I, so many times it still happens to this day. Like I, I, I and I know this, like I look at Google Earth and I'm like, eh, goodness gracious, I, that's not that area is not that big. I, I hope, you know, I'm not too crammed up in that spot. And then I get there and I'm just like, like this is massive. Yeah. You know, like, I just, like, so, um, so yeah, like our plan with that, with the Utah thing, we we're going to hike in, operate out of a base camp. And then there were several basins, um, that were around that base camp that piqued my interest in terms of like talking to other people that were way more knowledgeable than I was on finding deer above Timberline, uh, books that I read, um, and just like general deer knowledge that I already had. Um, my thing was I was going to go into it and I was really wanted to face, uh, focus on East facing slopes. Like it seemed like that was like a very consistent thing between high country mule deer hunters and, uh, even myself just hunting the desert was like East facing slopes. That's where the sun's going to hit first in the morning. Right. And the deer, the deer are going to pop with their red bodies on those hills. So it's just going to be a lot easier to see them. Uh, and generally that's where a lot of feed is as well. So, um, that was my, I had all these marks, you know, before we, you know, my onyx looked like a Christmas tree right before I got there. Um, and, uh, we were, I mean, pleasantly surprised. We went into this area and I'm, we saw more bucks than I've ever seen before ever. Uh, got there a day and a half before, uh, did that because I wanted a couple, you know, I wanted, we wanted some time to scout a little bit, right? I didn't have any on the boots scouting for this. Um, so season opened a day and a half after we got there in that day and a half, we saw over 50 bucks. Um, and some, and there, some of them were giants, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just, I got, I just, felt like i was watching like a south cox film or something like that like look at all these big velvet bucks you know what i mean yeah okay put you on pause real quick and ask you a question on that oh yeah yeah yeah. so we we had a listener question early on about uh getting into country earlier if you haven't been able to put boots on the ground to scout and getting their preseason and you know getting a lay of the not only lay the land but trying to identify deer which is a totally valid point 
And then Steve also mentioned, um, though, if you have limited time, he would prefer to just spend that time there while you can hunt, right? So, like, what if you go in there and it's a day before season or two days before season and you spot a buck that's actually approachable um, or what you think is approachable? Like, you, you could be putting a stock on this thing, maybe getting a shot opportunity if the season was open. So, if you had you know, five to seven days to hunts total for a trip. Would you still go in early before season? So you can then spend that time, um, you know, getting to lay the land, trying to find some deer for opening morning. Or do you see the validity and like, just essentially maybe getting there the, you know, the day before opening day, but essentially your first full hunting day would be huntable. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I could have, feel like i definitely could have shot a buck first day i was there okay interesting. and he was in like the yeah yeah so so to answer your question i wouldn't want to get there that far in advance before season like i, I would okay. want to get there and be able to hunt like right off the bat okay cool so. yeah so you uh you had to been on cloud nine getting in there it's always exciting when you you make a plan in onyx but you never put foot in the country and then you get there and it's everything you hoped for and sometimes even more um so how did that hunt begin to play off where you guys are in there spotting a bunch of bucks yeah yeah we we got into uh this really cool looking basin um so actually the first evening we were there you know first day was pretty much spent getting camp set kind of getting settled in and then there was a basin real close to camp that we went over and uh glassed for the evening and right away we we saw a group of bucks right there and it was like holy crap we you know there's those are high country meal deer that's you know we're seeing those in person that's awesome um and then uh the next day so we watched those bucks for for the evening and the next day we were gonna bomb over into a basin that was a pretty good jaunt away from our camp um, went and did that and spotted some giant bucks, uh, right off the bat. And one of them, well, yeah, one in particular was just in like the perfect spot for like a spot. It's like a spot in stock, but, um, season open the next day, you know what I mean? Like, so, mm-hmm. um, that is something I might want to do different in the future. Um, because after that, I mean, that particular deer never bed in that spot again. You know, like, like I, I was like, man, if he beds there tomorrow, I'm going to get a really good opportunity and it never happened. Um, so yeah, might want to get there like right when the season starts instead of before season, you just have more days hunting, you know? Um, yeah. And then from there, like opening, we saw deer every single day, um, tried to be aggressive. Like I mentioned earlier, (laughs) like with the running bucks, (laughs) Yeah, because like how I'm always looking at this is like, oh, they're right there. I just need to go. Like if I was standing right there, I could shoot that deer right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the fact of the matter is these these early season deer, they're just way more on high alert than the running bucks that I'm used to chasing. Mm-hmm. So um, being aggressive didn't work. You know, I made a lot of climbs up and down thousand plus uh, foot cl- uh, climbs to get to these deer and none of it panned out because, uh, they just kept busting me, you know? So, um, what, what, sorry, not to cut you off, but what do you think was busting you or was it everything? I mean, was it sound? Was it scent? Was it movement? What, what was actually blowing those approaches? It, it was absolutely, I'd say like eight times out of 10, it was the wind. Okay. 
that that would yeah because like like where we were like we were on this big face right and the wind was very consistent but then a lot of these bucks were down in Mm -hmm. some of these cuts beneath us the wind swirls like like no other down there okay Mm -hmm. so like you get down there and it's like man you so you're up you're up there trying to glass the grass and stuff like that to see like which direction it's blowing but like you can only see so much from from you know from up there so um that's that's what it was yeah it was it was a wind 100 percent, man i i would uh get to a certain distance you know within probably 200 yards 150 yards and then my brother would give me the the no-go symbol from up above (laughs) (laughs) done (laughs) yeah done you suck yeah Yeah. so yeah so um something that i noticed though was that one buck didn't bed in the same exact spot, but they were in the same areas. Okay. So like all these deer that we were seeing, they were very patternable. Um, and, uh, I, I noticed a little ledge that was overlooking this little basin, um, that the bucks were in the first evening we were there. And every single evening, those deer would come into that basin through this saddle. So I was like, okay, maybe, instead of trying to like run at these deer, like I've been, maybe I can ambush these deer because they keep doing the same thing every day. So that's what I did is I, uh, I scooted down this avalanche chute and got out. There was just one little ledge, um, with a little tree there to like, for me to like, you know, uh, break up my outline. And, uh, it was basically like a little tree stand, you know, a little ambush point and the deer were going to walk right beneath me. Um, that worked out perfectly and they came right through the saddle and, um, yeah, then I missed a bunch. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Did you say you missed one or you missed a bunch? (laughs) Uh, uh, definitely a bunch. Um, I, 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 let me, I should, I should, I should reset it. I missed one buck a bunch. (laughs) Um, yeah, so like going into this, uh, I definitely had like uh, I've been dealing with target panic for uh, I had been dealing with target panic for like the past year before that. So it was something I was really trying to work on uh, with my archery game. And quite honestly, like I was so excited. I just got I mean, I got buck fever, man. Like oh, yeah. it, like like I was at five days into the hunt at that point, I think, or six days into it. And Mm -hmm. we just been working so hard, you know, and then it's all of a sudden there's an opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Like right there, that's what you've been working for. And it, it felt as if everything I worked on with target panic before that just completely flew out the window, Mm -hmm. you know? And, And it was like, now you're in this like state panic, right? With this deer in front of you. And yeah, I, dang near emptied my quiver and i remember talking to you i was in reaching you were texting you when i was back there <laughs> i was like just feeling like dirt you know yeah. what i mean and i had i had one arrow left and uh i made the decision the next day we glassed a little bit the next morning i made the decision that i wasn't comfortable hunting with one arrow based off of how my shooting was because <laughs> if i hit it if I hit, I mean, say I hit the deer bad, like right. I didn't have an opportunity to shoot him again. Yep. You know what I mean? So my brother and I elected to pack out a day early, head back to Arizona, regroup, and um, try to get this shooting under wraps. And I did find out that, I don't know what I did, but I brought my bow to the pro shop when I got home. And they were like, what did you do to this thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, 
like my arrow my arrow rest was out off i ripped a fiber out of my sight um uh the uh third access was off which is incredibly uh beneficial in that steep country um Mm -hmm. huge effect on your arrow um not saying that that was why i missed the deer i was why i missed those deer but it definitely had an effect on things um with the shooting and stuff like that so yeah, yeah man got home and uh Got that all figured out, and it got to the point where I was like, I haven't punched the trigger in three days, and I was feeling really great. Um, so that's kind of the mentality I had going into Colorado. Yeah, it's funny. Like this is a, I think, an oversimplification of the issue, but you know, going mm-hmm. to target panic. It's if you take hunting out of the equation, you're just shooting at a target. Part of what's going on with target panic is in your mind, you see that pin, and it's on the bullseye. It's where you want to hit, and you have this conscious or even subconscious reaction of like there it is i gotta shoot it right now right so you end up like my pins on the my pins on the bulls i gotta go and you punch it right because it's like this is the moment now 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 and it's that that same thing can happen like you just said you've been in there for four or five days the deer's coming you get the full draw you get a pin on the deer for some guys even near the deer like you said when buck fever's going in the end it's that same thing it's like here it is. Mm-hmm. This is the one shot. The pin's there. It has to go now. And then that just leads to like punching it, jerking it, throwing it, all kinds of stuff. So it's just, inter- again, that's an oversimplification, but there's so much right. in there that is related to target panic, be it on a target or on an animal and just buck fever and all that versus like having a much more defined process, staying calm, working through your shot process, which is all, you know, easy to say on a podcast and much harder to do. And there's the one shot opportunity you've been waiting days for and it's there, but, um, that's just so key to it, you know? Oh yeah, dude. My, my big issue was I would anticipate the shot. So I would anticipate when the release was going to break and I, then I would like, I would want to look, right. Mm-hmm. I would want to like, see where did, where, where did the arrow go? You know what I mean? Especially like, like the target, it's like, okay, like shooting targets is awesome, but it's, super boring compared to like being at full draw at a live animal you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so um just like that like nervousness of like wondering did i do it no let me try again did i do it no let me try again did i do like you know what i mean um so yeah that that's definitely that's been something i've battled for a bit when you went then when you've quote unquote fixed that was that all mental on your target panic or did you change something setup wise like release bow what have you no it it was like a hundred percent mental like it was just like i was having a prop so i shoot a thumb release um and how i shoot the thumb release is come to full draw anchor and then i just start um pulling Mm -hmm. you know with my with my thumb on the trigger and i really am trying to like strive for like that surprise shot right my thing was um it's uh takes a lot of trust you know to keep the pin where it needs to be until that shot breaks and like so once i got it through my head that um the bow's gonna go off dude okay Mm -hmm. like it's gonna go off just keep aiming. So that's what I that's what I told myself. Just keep aiming, keep aiming. Don't worry. Just keep aiming and and just never stop. Once I got that through my head at the range, it translated very well on tar- target. Mm-hmm. Um, 
different different thing than animals though which we'll get into <laughs> yeah no for sure it's a it's a cool point though like in the end if you just break it down like this if your pins on the target that's a good thing get comfortable with it so you you eliminate that pins on the target got to shoot now got to go got to release versus just getting really comfortable like pins on the target this is great keep hanging keep hanging in there and then you know and then let it go for sure yeah well i think we're like not saying all people are like this but um i think we're inherently like control freaks yeah so like we want to we want to make it happen you know um and just trusting a mechanical release mm-hmm. to like go off whenever it may is kind of uh it was kind of you know it's kind of nerve-wracking a little bit like like when is it going to happen you know when is it going to happen you're just like you start shaking and stuff and your mind starts racing and then you're like ah, i'm just gonna punch it you know <laughs> like, yeah yeah so let's uh yeah let's roll into Colorado and you know pull some lessons learned and experiences from that hunt man because that was a pretty quick turnaround between those hunts. Yeah yeah um so Colorado like definitely went into Colorado uh, with a way better mindset with my shooting. Um, Utah I did not feel that confident like if I'm being honest like you know like I did what I could beforehand but it just didn't click with me um with the whole like target panic thing yet so going into Colorado I was like heck yeah dude feeling really great we make the drive we get in there Th- these my let me, I, I'd like to point out these are two spots um we had never been before okay so like anybody can go and do this like I never stepped foot in this area in Colorado never stepped foot in this area in Utah we just like it was all map work it, how we found these spots so get to the trailhead in Colorado, hike in. Of course, like being, I don't like, these are my first year hunting high country mule deer, right? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, so I start second guessing myself when I'm going in there, like, uh, maybe we'll stay here for two, three days. And then there was another spot down the road that I had elk hunted previously that I had seen deer in, in previous years. Um, we're like, maybe we'll stay here for a couple of days and we'll go to that spot. Right. Well, we we get into our camp and like the first morning, you know, we're kind of like very skeptical and we're just like walking down the trail. And then I look up ahead of me and there's just this giant four by four walking down the trail away from us. So I was like, well, maybe this spot's pretty cool. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's definitely deer here. Um, I got to full draw on that buck uh, and uh, just didn't have a shot because he there was uh, branches in the way. So like literally the first 15 minutes of our hike we were at full draw and i was like this is going to be awesome um so great great start to the trip um got into our glassing spot and for anybody that hasn't i I have to go back to this man for anybody that hasn't seen like the high country in person it is like it's stunning like absolutely stunning um everything looks like a painting everywhere you look and uh goodness gracious it's just like a blessing being up in there but we we, so we got to our glassing point and that's what we see we just see this like crazy country that you see in magazines and um saw like one doe that day and then thunderstorm rolled in hunkered down for the day and then that evening we get back out to our glassing spot and all of a sudden it's like okay now deer are starting to move around like right away i picked up uh two two bucks feeding on a very small bench beneath a, a cliff face it's like perfect for like a spot and stock situation so i was like well they're they're 
they're not going anywhere. They're feeding right there. Um, I'm going to make the loop around and come in up above them on the top of that cliff face. So went over there, thunderstorm rolls in on the way and I don't even care. I just have a smile on my face. You know, there's like hail and stuff and just like, you know, it was just awesome. No, no factor at all. Just like awesome being there, you know, but, but on a, from a strategic standpoint, like the wind was helping quite a bit covering up my approach uh-huh. uh, down, down to that cliff face. So I got down there and I'm looking out ahead of me and I'm like, I'm ranging the stuff that they were in and it was like 25 yards. I'm like, dude, if these things are here, they are going to be close. And then all of a sudden, right to my left, one of the bucks walks out beneath me, 35 yards. He's got his head down. He has no idea I'm there. I come to full draw. My arrow squeaks across my wrist. And like, they didn't, like, they didn't even look. Those deer, like, they didn't even look in my direction. They just, like, it was as if you walked up and smacked them on the butt. They just ran as fast as they could. (laughs) Dude. But, yeah, no, but, like, I was like, heck, yeah. Like, I could have walked away from that, like, really disappointed, you know, because 35 yards, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's a pretty doable shot, you know. And um, it was a great buck, you know, nice big 4 by 4 and I was like, man, this is the first evening that we're hunting. Like, amazing. Got to full draw first thing in the morning. And then this is the first evening, the first stock that I actually go on. This is going to be rad. Um, those bucks ran away. And that buck actually ran, almost ran over my brother. My brother has video of this. He heard some tumbling coming up the hill. This buck was running right towards him. My brother had to, like, he go, he went, whoosh, whoosh. And the buck, like, all of a sudden, like, turned beeline to the left of him because he was running from me. <laughs> but, but he ended mm-hmm. up running into my brother. Um, so for the next uh, six days, um, we uh, just got our teeth handed in, handed to us, stalking these deer. And what it really came down to was, so in Utah, how I got a shot opportunity was ambush hunting. Well, this country that we were in in Colorado was way bigger uh, than the stuff in Utah, meaning I couldn't get to these spots fast enough. You know what I mean? To like, like it was like, if you were going to stock something, it was like, that was like a thing, you know what I mean? It was like a very, like a time investment. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I didn't really notice a whole lot of, Oh, I saw the deer right in this spot this morning. They're going to be there the next day of these deer are in this basin somewhere mm-hmm. rather than they're on this exact trail. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> We'd find them every single day, but it was just like, you know, it wasn't like Utah. So, um, tried to make a couple stocks. One time I got busted by a marmot. He was like, <laughs> dude, yeah, just like this giant deer bedded down in these trees. And then I'm, I'm walking along above them. And then this marmot jumps up and starts squawking at me. Oh. Like they do this a lot they do this alarm bark thing. And then like, once the buck heard that, he was like, uh, you know, and like, cause they know what that means. Right. Sure. And, yeah. and they got, they got out of there. But, um, so the biggest lesson for me in Colorado that I learned was, uh, patience like that, that right there was a huge, huge factor. Like I read about it ahead of time about how like, okay, here's what you're supposed to do. Right. You glass up a buck. 
and they bed down. Okay, well, don't go yet. Like, wait until he moves into a second bed, mm-hmm. right? And then and then wait even longer, right? And then make your approach. Um, well, it turns out that that's uh, that's some pretty sound advice right there. Um, because that's exactly like we, it was really cool being able to watch the deer actually do this, you know, like this stuff that we read about and then they're just, they're doing it right in front of us. Like, okay, like this is really how this is. So the next buck, the next time I got an opportunity on the sixth day, um, I was like, I'm not going to go after these deer until like one thirty, and it was, and we saw these deer at eight thirty in the morning. That was really difficult for me because I normally like in Arizona, there's not a deer I can't get to in 20 minutes. It seems, you know, like I see a deer, I'm like, boom, I'm, I'm getting after that deer right now. Um, but with this, I'm like, I want to try to do this right. You know, so we glassed up this group of bucks and bedded them down. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. They were going to, they bed down, they moved to their second bed. Um, and then we just hung out and ate food and drank coffee for the whole day and watched these bucks. And, um, what they did was they were feeding in this little meadow, this little tiny meadow in the morning based on where they were. That was really the only way that they could go in the evening because the other side of that was a cliff. So I was like, they had to come back out into that meadow to feed. So I was like, okay, I'm going to position myself. I'm going to go over there and drop down. I had my whole route picked out. I'm going to drop down and just wait for them at that meadow. So once uh 130 rolled around, got my stuff together, we went over there, start creeping down and I look down and they're already up feeding at in this meadow. I'm like, "Holy crap." So they did exactly what I thought. They just did it a little bit earlier than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm like creeping down this way. There's two really nice bucks that are moving to the right. So I'm like, "Okay, I'm going to try to get ahead of them." So I, I'm, you know, down basically crab crawling beneath the brush line, you know, to get down ahead of these deer. And then I look to my right and there's another deer coming down to my, you know, from right to left. I'm like, well, that deer is at 70 yards. I'm going to go after that deer. These other deer were further away. This buck comes down and starts raking his antlers for 30 minutes in a pile of brush. And I have no shot. And he, I just watched him for 30 minutes rake his antlers and eat the velvet off. And then he decided to bed down. And, that, and now I really don't have a visual. I could see his antler a little bit. Mm. So, like, I was – I just sat there for probably an hour, you know, waiting for this deer to stand up. And then a hailstorm rolls in. And I'm like – like, I'm, like, I'm sitting there. Welcome like, to the high country. With, yeah, yeah, I'm sitting there like with an arrow knocked, and then I'm like, "Ow, ow!" I just keep, just keep getting pelted in the back of the head with hail. And right at the time when I was like, "You know what? I probably should, I should probably get up and go to get in some trees because there was lightning and stuff too." The buck stands up because he got hit with hail. He like he he like stood up and was like, "What was that?" You know? And I'm like, "Oh, here we go. Here's my opportunity." Well. It was like a flashback of Utah for a little bit because I missed a couple times. And I'm like, okay, calm down. Like, what, what, how did screen. he respond to that? Was he just like... Did... I think that he he didn't even know. Yeah, didn't because know. I, because Yeah, because I, the hail and the wind, it was so noisy. Oh, it was still so hailing not... at this point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Gosh, it was coming down, yeah. man. 
yeah, yeah. So, so, so I don't even think he heard the arrow. Yeah. Hmm. Probably what saved my butt. Yeah. You know, I mean, and so I just I was like, you know what, like, yeah, like you you've got this. You know how to shoot this range. You do it all the time. And at that point, I just really everything just really slowed down, and I just like I found this tuft of hair on his body. You know what I mean? And just really focused in on that and just tried to like slowly execute my shot and shot broke. And I just watched that arrow hit that tuft of hair and it was, it was perfect, you know, and he, he galloped, you know, did that mm-hmm. high leg kick and then went over the hill and now it's really storming. So like my brother was right above me, like 30 yards above me and he had no idea I even shot. And I come running up. I'm like, dude, I got him, you know? And he's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Uh, we need to get into the trees. My brother's like deathly afraid of lightning. <laughs> 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 the buck's dead and we're going to be dead <laughs> soon too. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool, man. You can tell me about it later. Um, so we, we grab our stuff and wait this storm out. Um, and uh, storm passes, you know, and we get our gear together. And uh, my but the buck that I shot was hard horned. Um, I look down to my left when I have my, I get my pack on and stuff. I look down to my left and I see a deer running away. That's hard horned. I was like, wait a minute. That was that my buck, you know? Um, but it was in a different area, like a couple, like maybe 50 yards away. So I was like, oh, okay. So now like I'm, I'm like second guessing myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I go down there, to, I, replay the shot to my brother i'm like okay i was standing right here the deer was right there and my brother goes what's that over there and i glass over probably 40 yards away from where the deer was standing and there he was there you know Mm. it was like oh my goodness like holy crap holy crap we did it you know just like so overwhelming like at that point i was at 12 days uh, of backcountry hunting for mule deer and um a lot of arrows later you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, just finally all came together and it was just so, so awesome and gratifying when like your hard work like that pays off. Yeah. That's cool, man. That's awesome. Going back to, uh, to the shot, what you said, you know, you missed those couple and then you slowed down and then you thought, you know, I, I know I can shoot this range. I have this. And then you picked that spot, that specific tuft of hair. It just makes me think, and you know, I, I'm not preaching this because I'm as guilty as anybody on on rushing things and getting buck fever and all that. But I think more often than not, in shot opportunities, we do have more time than we think. And so, oh yeah, taking that same process you had on that second or third arrow, whatever it was, you probably could have done that your first arrow. And again, I'm not armchair quarterbacking you. I'm like. Oh saying that for listeners and even myself of take the time like yes things can happen fast but more often than not we're moving faster than the opportunity and so it's us that need to slow down if that makes sense oh yeah dude you're 100 percent right like i totally could have done that and it was it was a you know you get like it was a it was probably out of desperation why i was like just kind of like automatically reverted, reverted back to rushing was, it was like, Oh man, here's my opportunity. Right. Mm. Like, and, um, but then like after slowing down, it's like, you're absolutely right. You have way more time than you think. And I think that's something that, um, uh, is incredibly common. Like the mountains, you like, they just kind of move at a different click than we do. 
mm-hmm. you know um the deer are not like on this like rigid schedule of oh i gotta get my kid to the dentist at two o'clock you know what i mean like they're they have all the time in the world you know what i mean so um definitely pays to be to just breathe you know just breathe and like just let things happen like and just do what you need to do time wise in order to make a good shot yeah dude that's awesome at uh like you said after all that time after all that investment after the highs the lows you know like the there's always those those swings in hunting like you're getting into the country you're all excited and in both of those hunts you had um early experiences with finding deer so that's always super exciting but then on both of those hunts you had lows that follow it but it's always that that sticking with it you know that helps things come together and that's honestly that's what makes things you know even more sweet when it does come together so that's cool yeah some some things like two like real quick uh two two like really important lessons for me besides the patience thing was uh in terms of gear uh i've always been a, a minimalist with optics um a spotting scope if it wasn't for like i had a 65 millimeter on that hunt if it wasn't for that i truly don't think i would have killed my deer like it was just like the country is so big um i normally run 10 by 42s on my chest and i had those but if it wasn't for that spotting scope i would have not found those deer so that right there in terms of like gear definitely like glass goes a very long way but then in terms of like mental stuff um dude i'd started not having fun man like like that first uh when we got to colorado like first couple opportunities um, that we had like started getting bummed out, you know, and just like being like taking things too seriously. Mm-hmm. And my brother and I started like, my brother and I started like arguing a little bit here and there and we're just like not having fun. And, and the one thing that we said, we woke up that, that sixth day when I shot that deer, we woke up that morning and our number one goal when we left camp, what we said is like, we, we just want to have fun today, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just enjoy each other's company. Um, and, uh, coincidentally enough, that's when we ended up filling the attack. <laughs> yeah. We just no, dude, I think it's so no important ex- though. Yeah. We just kind of left with no expectations and smiles on our face and just feel feeling lucky to be where we were at the time. Like just in that awe inspiring country is amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Dude, that's honestly a great way to cap it. I mean, as much as we can talk tips and tactics and glassing and patience and strategy, like what you just said there is honestly as important as anything. Um, you know, it's fresh in my mind. I just wrote that article on, a, you know, hunting being about the experience and not about the trophy, not even necessarily about the meat. Like it's yes, it's about all that. But for me personally, mm-hmm. it's about the experience and, uh, you know, you just have to enjoy it. It's there's a lot going on. There's a lot to think through. There's lessons to be learned, mistakes to be made. But in the end, it's, you know, be there, be present, enjoy it. We get, I, I can speak for everybody. I, I don't think we get as much time in that country as we want to. And so make the most mm-hmm. of it while you're there. Be present where you're at, you know, uh, keep your head where your feet are. And uh, yeah, that's just an important part of it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, I mean, there's only so many things that that we can control and uh the animals are certainly not one of them you know and and uh so rolling with the punches i think is very important and just 
you know, like you said, being present and enjoying yourself in the process. I think that right there, like being positive is going to keep you out there longer. It's going to keep you in a better space. It's going to keep you motivated to do things that you maybe don't necessarily want to do, like making like a big giant loop on a buck or something like that. Um, or making some rigorous hike through like a thunderstorm, whatever it is like, um, you know, it's going to keep you in the game longer. Yeah. Come on. Um, before we wrap up two questions, uh, number one, you mentioned early on, like going to the Utah hunts and being newer to high country, specifically some of the books you read in terms of that. And we've touched on that briefly in the series. Uh, but mm-hmm. any specific book recommendations for uh, mule deer? What what are the ones that you turn to? Yeah, so um, two of them. All right, one is very very outdated in terms of like photography and like the kind of gear that they're using, but it's it is like in my opinion, like I think South Cox has called it the mule deer bible, but it's a uh, hunting open country mule deer by Dwight Shue. Mm-hmm. Um, that book is the information in that book is timeless. Um, also, uh, the edge is a fantastic book. Is that, um, uh, David Long? Yep. yep. Okay. That, that was, uh, I, I like drew the, the, the mule deer tag and I was like, that's the first book I ordered. And, uh, it's, and it, it's like not all like, it's not all focused on early season. Like it has its own early bow hunting section, like it focuses on all seasons in high elevation stuff, but the bow hunting section alone is very, very beneficial. Um, that was, that was a great resource. Cool. Uh, last thing is also book related. You got a book, man. Tell people about your book. Oh yeah. Thanks man. Uh, yeah. So I released a book. Uh, what is it? It's July now. I think it's been out for like three months now, I believe. Um, Becoming a Backpack Hunter, A Beginner's Guide to Hunting the Backcountry. Uh, super proud of it. Um, just basically a roadmap for the beginner wanting to get into backpack hunting, like taking you from, you don't even know if you want to backpack hunt, all the way to your packing an animal out back to the truck. Just everything in between that, mental stuff, physical stuff, gear, um, everything that you can imagine to get yeah. you started backpack hunting. Really proud of that. You can get it. Um, if anybody wants to check it out, it's available on Amazon, uh, in both paperback and Kindle forms. Uh, you just search becoming a backpack hunter and it'll pop up. Well, that's a wrap guys. Don't forget that link to Josh's book is in the show description. You can go check that out at Amazon. And as you heard, pick up either a paperback copy or get it in a digital format for Kindle app. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate the time. Hope you'll tune back in again soon. We have a lot coming. Uh, as we wrapped up this Mule Deer series, we're excited to talk elk. I know a lot of you guys have been waiting for it, getting ready for elk season, and we have a lot more coming there as well. So again, you can hit that subscribe button to receive future episodes, and hope you tune in next time. Talk to you soon.